Watch podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch podcast, we're going to be talking about the topic of carbon and agriculture. And I'm joined today by David Ripplinger, who's in the Department of Agricultural Economics at North Dakota State University. Thanks for joining me today. My pleasure, Aaron. David, before we dive into this topic, tell us a little more about yourself, your background, and your current role there at North Dakota State University. Yeah, absolutely. So a uh, native North Dakotan uh, who uh, grew up on Main Street, uh, but had a farm. I wanted to stay in agriculture, and I guess the closest I could get was working at, at the, the state's land grant. I've actually worked in my current position and with carbon for over a decade. Uh, my position's really unique. Uh, it was created by the state of North Dakota uh, almost 20 years ago uh, when the renewable fuel standard was coming online. And there was interest in biofuels, uh, new crops, uh, processing in the state. Uh, and so was, my, my position was actually created by the state legislature uh, to deal with those issues. Uh, started 10 years ago uh, as an extension specialist uh, and as faculty uh, at NDSU. Uh, so I do research as well. Worked on a variety of things, but you know, one of the common underpinnings since I started was carbon. Again, because it has uh, you know critical importance in biofuels as we grow, you know primarily corn and soybeans, but other crops as we process them and look for markets. That carbon footprint is really important, uh, and of course, more recently we've seen uh, the emergence of different opportunities, uh, particularly in carbon offset markets uh, for farmers. You know, I've I've been I've been doing this uh, one way or another for for quite some time. You know, doing the, the thing that, you know, land grant faculty do in terms of, you know, applied research to serve the people of the state, uh, as well as to prepare and deliver a variety of extension programs that have always had something to do with carbon. And of course, for the last uh, year, year and a half, uh, carbon has been top of the list, deliberately, specifically, uh, you know, when I'm giving talks and, 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 and much of my work. Obviously, carbon and agriculture right now is getting a lot of attention, a lot of popular press. And we're also seeing, I would say, farmers and ranchers being, I don't know if the target is the right word, but being pursued, I guess, in terms of them being a potential opportunity as a carbon sink, a place to acquire and store carbon and then offset carbon for companies that are looking to be carbon neutral or carbon negative. Share with us a little more about how farmers and ranchers need to think about the current environment we're in, understanding what's driving all this, and then just to be really, I think, uh, purposeful and, and smart about how they think about interacting with this situation. Yeah, so I, I think carbon is, is one of the next new things that everyone in agriculture needs to be literate of. You know, there's a lot that goes on. Uh, there's a lot of issues and concerns for Farmers specifically, uh, as opportunities are being presented, the the biggest, you know, the, the best place to start is really to look at, uh, you know, why are folks looking at carbon? Uh, and of course, too, you know, when we say carbon, we're talking about carbon dioxide, and it's really just a, a phrase when we're talking about all greenhouse gas emissions. So we're talking about climate. That's the, that's the primary motivator here. Uh, there are a variety of individuals and organizations, businesses that are interested in climate. Uh, and, and one of the things I always say when talking with farmers or ranchers is just take that as a given. You know, it really doesn't matter, you know, what you might think about climate, um, just like you might not uh, consume the crops you grow that in, 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 you know, 
but you might still grow them because it's worthwhile. Um, again, so we have these different uh, individuals and groups who are concerned about climate. They are creating a system to manage greenhouse gas emissions within the economy globally. And that's really coming to agriculture, but agriculture is far from the only place where this is active. Uh, but to me, it's, it's really quite exciting. And, and we are, in many respects, one of the, the best places uh, to, to help address these issues. And again, so if we think about you know, reducing carbon emissions, it might make sense to think about the emissions that we have as farmers and ranchers. And some of these might be apparent, known, uh, and some of them might not be. Uh, you know, most folks might think initially about diesel fuel or propane as being major sources of emissions. Of course, you know, in, in the cattle industry, you know, beef or dairy, you know, we're, we're very familiar with methane. But what most folks might not know, and critically important uh, in Nebraska, as well as, you know, much of the Midwest, uh, you know, the biggest source of greenhouse gas impact is actually from nitrogen fertilizer by far. And it's not the production uh, of nitrogen or the movement of it. It's actually when we're unsuccessful in getting the nitrogen into the plant, the, the nitrogen that doesn't get into the plant, that doesn't stay in the soil, becomes a gas, which is called nitrous oxide. And it's a, a very potent greenhouse gas. Uh, it's 300 times as potent as uh, carbon dioxide. Uh, and so you're going back to the idea of thinking about what you know a farmer has in terms of uh, their own emissions, I think is important you know, to understand that every farmer and rancher, everyone has a, a, a liability or exposure to this, which might not be a positive thing. Uh, and then, of course, in agriculture, the excitement to date has been uh, with carbon offset markets and the opportunity to adopt new practices, uh, particularly changing tillage, uh, strip till or no till, or to grow or, or to plant cover crops or to incorporate cover crops uh, into in, into a farm. And so those are those are exciting things. Uh, and again, those are, are really looked at as, as as ways, you know, as an offset to use the plants that we grow for crops in, in, in a, an additional better way by keeping that, that, that biomass that's in the soil anyways, you know, the root structure, some of the biomass that's above field, you know, if we can keep that in the ground, you know, we can capture or sequester tons upon tons of, of CO2 or, and other greenhouse gases, which is just fantastic. And again, if you think about how widespread, you know, how big agriculture is, you know, it's, it's a great opportunity for us as a society to reduce our emissions. And in this case, primarily by offsetting things that are going on in other parts of the economy. Let's talk just a little more about farmers and ranchers thinking about their greenhouse gas liability a little bit. I think just, you know, you mentioned the, the petroleum they use, the, the fertilizer that's used. As we think about the economy and we think about some of the structure, and we also think about the opportunity to maybe sell carbon, you know, get carbon credits. What are some things you think farmers and ranchers need to think through before they just jump into that, realizing that at some point they may need to also offset their own liability? Yeah. And for me, Aaron, that's really the critical thing. And it kind of cuts to the chase. Uh, as I mentioned, I've been giving a number of talks on this with farmers. Uh, primarily in North Dakota, but across the region. Uh, the, the first thing I, I my, my first recommendation is that farmers, you know, achieve or, you know, have some basic understanding of, of what's going on, uh, you know, in terms of who's interested in buying this. Uh, the other thing that I would 
bring up is that I think it's very important for farmers, if we're talking about the, the carbon offset contracts today, for them to understand what no-till or strip-till or cover crops would mean to their farm before thinking about carbon offset contracts. For them to, to utilize different resources, you know, university extension, uh, you know, we all have uh, various resources, you know, from state to state. For them to look at it and to decide, you know, you know, does it make sense? You know, because if it does make sense, then, you know, assigning a carbon offset contract could be in some respects, you know, just an additional revenue. Of course, we'll talk about something that kind of negates that to some extent. But, you know, if, if the numbers are way off, you know, if you go through those exercises, if you work through a quick budget and you realize that no-till or cover crops don't work for your farm today, then you don't need to have these conversations unless over time we might see some new practices, you know, be, be being presented to farmers. You know, for me, that's, that's really important. But it also brings up this second really important point is, you know, the way that the carbon offset contracts are being presented is that farmers are being, you know, offered, hey, if you, if you go no-till, I'll give you $5 an acre. And that's fine. That's how it's framed. But the truth is, if, if a farmer takes it that way, they're really selling their carbon for free. Uh, you know, they're, they're thinking just about, okay, for, for $5 an acre, I will take a little bit of a yield hit for a couple of years or whatever those other considerations are. They never sit back and realize that what they're really doing is that they're selling 400 pounds of carbon capture in that year. And that really ends up becoming an issue because if a farmer thinks about the fact that they have liability or that there might be a different higher price for carbon, that they could be doing better. And again, I think that there's, there's two things that go on with that. One would be, you know, this regret is like, gosh, well, the price of carbon went up and I, I sold early and I'm kind of upset about that. I think the bigger concern for me would be the possibility that if farmers were acquired to reduce their own greenhouse gas emissions, and they already used up their easiest, best way to do that, they could be really upset. Uh, and again, I don't think that's necessarily how it's being presented to farmers, but I think it's important that, that we look at it that way, again, because that carbon has a price. One of the other things that I find, I think, to be challenging as we think about this is if I, as a farmer or rancher, enter into one of these contracts, and there's going to be, I think, usually some soil sampling that occurs, some baseline in terms of what's present in terms of soil, organic matter, or carbon. You know, I think there's a lot we don't know. Let's say due to environmental conditions that are beyond my control, drought, uh, weather conditions, I actually have less carbon in my soil in subsequent years. Uh, what happens then? Yeah, and it, it, that's a great point and one that definitely is considered. Again, if you think about th there's a variety of terms in all of these contracts, and, and they're they're there for a reason. And, and one of the, the, the common terms is the idea of a clawback. You know, if you think what's going on, the, the, the folks who are ultimately buying these carbon offsets want to see carbon captured uh, and retained in the soil for at least 100 years. And so to have that system work, having folks come out and validate that to enter the field uh, at, at some time and typically in some sort of somewhat random manner. Uh, is important for the system to work. Uh, farmers may not want that, which is you know understandable. And then, of course, there's this issue of what if the actual 
carbon capture is less than that was expected. And, and maybe not even a net reduction from when the, the, the contract was signed, but even just not achieving those goals that were initially expected. You know, those are typically uh, subject to a clawback. Again, so it's entirely possible. Some of these contracts are quite long in duration. Uh, you know, a, a, you know, you could sign up for up to a decade of adhering to the practice where you would paid each of those 10 years, as well as a, another 10 year period where you'd be subject to, you call it audit or, you know, check uh, verification. And, you know, it's entirely possible with a contract like that, that the, that the, the folks who buy it or the third parties that they hire to go verify the numbers could come out and test and find that the carbon measured is less than that was expected. Uh, and you'd be subject to that clawback. And again, that's to me, it, it makes sense, but it's also uh, uh, some serious exposure. As you mentioned, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an economist, not a soil scientist, but you know, I've heard it mentioned repeatedly. So I'll, I'll mention myself, you know, the, the actual measurement of, of carbon in the soil can vary tremendously depending on conditions, you know, is it hot or cold, wet or dry, differences in small distances within a field, uh, you know, soil types within a field. To say nothing about if you have a year of drought or a year of, of you know, abundance, you know, that those measures can end up being all over the place. As we look at the market right now and you see what people are being offered, what are some things that these marketers, or I guess people who are wanting to buy carbon, what are they bringing to farmers and ranchers in terms of here's what we'll give you, here's our expectations? Yeah. So right now there's about a dozen companies that are actively engaged uh, in this carbon offset market with farmers. Uh, some are new startups uh, created specifically to be active in this market. Uh, some are longstanding agribusinesses that you know oftentimes have you know, a, a long, long-term relationship with farmers and are looking to build upon that. You know, the terms vary significantly. Again, you have 12 different companies uh, with different interests. And it's important to note too, I mean, we're really only in about year two of uh, this being a widespread activity. And a lot of the terms are being continually reviewed by the folks who are out there trying to find ways in which they might be able to have the best deal for farmers uh, and for themselves. Uh, but, you know, there's a variety of common terms, you know, of course, length, the different practices, uh, the payment amount, how the, the data might be checked, uh, how, you know, in some cases that the farmer might retain some ownership of the credits produced, you know, the idea of clawback, what that might look like. Uh, there's also... Uh, the, the long-standing agribusinesses are also interested in uh, essentially bundling carbon into their existing business uh, to, to provide a, a bigger, broader value for farmers to really strengthen that relationship. Uh, and again, it, it, it's challenging because there's so many options and the options are also changing. To, to have that conversation, you know, to go, go from, from start to finish with all of those different contracts would be exhaustive. Uh, and, and maybe not the best use of almost anyone's time, knowing that, you know, in some cases, many of these contracts, even though there's 12 of them, aren't necessarily available or as, as beneficial to, to farmers in a region. As you think about the current carbon market right now and, and this demand, you being in North Dakota, you've obviously seen the oil boom that occurred there. 
and some of the legal aspects, mineral rights. How would you think about what we saw take place with the oil boom and also what's occurring with carbon credits? Are there any commonalities there? Are there any lessons learned from the what occurred with the oil boom that maybe from a landowner perspective, people should be aware of and think about? Well, you know, I think it's really important to think about the what the, what the contracts are for and, and it, it, its relationship to property rights. Again, you know, if you think about what's being done is you're, you're making a, a commitment to certain practices that are tied to a specific piece of land. Uh, you know, if you talk about market fluctuation or, or you know, this, this volatility in prices, I think that can be really important. You know, if we stand back and think about the market for carbon, you know, agriculture is a small piece of that. It's going to grow significantly. Uh, there's a tremendous opportunity, tremendous potential in agriculture with, uh, with these practices identified now, cover crops and no-till. You know, to think about where there might be a boom and a bust, I don't think that we're, we're anywhere near that point yet. I think we're really at a point where the market's in its infancy. Uh, and I would say initially, I mean, the highest prices we saw in this market were actually five or six years ago when it was very young, where uh, there was little activity. And now for me, I would be more, more prone to think that in, in, in the upcoming years that prices will actually steadily rise as demand grows for uh, carbon offsets or you know, these reductions in greenhouse gas emissions across the economy. Uh, as well as the development of, of these, these systems. And again, it could be carbon offset programs for farmers, uh, carbon offsets in other parts of the economy, federal programs, state programs, you know, across the board. I think that we're really, you know, especially thinking globally, we're really only starting to address these concerns about climate. And there's only so many, like, great ways to do it. And again, in agriculture, we have some of those. And so I'd actually be somewhat optimistic or, or, or bullish on what carbon, the prices that farmers might receive from carbon. And then I'd also say too, I mean, I work with other carbon markets and what farmers have been receiving recently is actually significantly less than what we're seeing in, in, in most other carbon markets uh, to give, again, some sort of optimism or support to the prices we're seeing or, or might see. Uh, there's always lessons to be learned from similar situations, uh, you know, the, the oil boom here was simply that rapid growth uh, and, and meeting demand and then fluctuating levels of supply. And that's something I, I don't know if it would affect agriculture again, because I think that the prices received by farmers today is not extremely high. Uh, and it's, it's an, it is possible that we could see some transformational, some sort of disruptive technology come on board. It's like, hey, well, we can use this piece of technology and capture huge amounts of carbon, which could, you know, reduce the, the, that price of carbon throughout the economy. But again, just looking at what's on the horizon and how, how much carbon we can capture in agriculture, uh, that I'm really not too concerned that the market would, would collapse in any way. As you think about farmers and ranchers, what resources would you point them to, to get educated on this, to be knowledgeable about what the current circumstances are, things they need to know and understand as they think about evaluating the possibility of utilizing this on their own farm or ranch. Yeah, well, there's a few resources out there. You know, I have some up here and I actually just uh, 
caught preliminary word that we're going to be starting a bigger regional program uh, with agricultural economists, ex extension specialists in economics, uh, to develop some additional tools uh, and training for farmers. You know, I, I, the first place I would go on this, again, because I, I think there's a lot of well-intentioned folks, you know, I would look to, to University Extension uh, to see what they have available. I know uh, University of Nebraska Extension does have some resources available uh, to go and look at those. Uh, Iowa State Extension has some really good materials. And, and to go see exactly what's there. You know, I, I would sit, especially considering the time of year, you know, we're kind of entering this, this time where if you're going to enter a contract for carbon offsets in 2022, that decision is going to be need to be made, you know, somewhat soon. Um, and then, you know, at least in my experience, you know, once planting starts or, or, you know, spring work starts, you know, gears change from, from engagement in, in, in things like this to, to, to getting to the business at hand of, of getting the crop in, you know, I, I would, I would recommend that farmers do their homework, maybe listen to this, this podcast twice, uh, see what other uh, resources might be available from extension. And, and if they're interested, you know, also, you know, to talk to, uh, and we're really working on this as well, you know, other, other trusted folks, be they certified crop advisors, even, even the, the folks who are, you know, providing these contracts, you know, to, to engage with them, realizing that, you know, they're, they obviously want everyone to do well, but, the, you know, they have their own interests. But, you know, I, I do think that it's worthwhile for farmers and ranchers uh, to, to spend, you know, a few hours this winter to, to get up to speed as much as they can on, on, on the issue of carbon. Anything else on this topic that you think would be valuable for people to know and understand as we think about carbon and the opportunities that it may hold for farmers and ranchers? Yeah, I think one thing, uh, so I just go through my regular big takeaways, again, would be for, for farmers to look at the practices first, uh, for farmers to consider their liability. Uh, and the other thing I'd bring up too is, is realize that things are going to change or evolve. And we spent a lot of time as, as, as the focus has been on crop production, but then also to realize that there's significant implications for animal agriculture, uh, including, uh, you know, the, the type of agriculture we have in, in the Great Plains, uh, you know, and with beef cattle, uh, for folks to understand, for, for ranchers and those involved in, in, in beef production or uh, in other parts of animal agriculture, the different ways that it touches on them, uh, because they're equally important. They, there's research that has been done, that is being done. There's work being done to uh, introduce carbon offsets to that part of agricultural economy. And I think that as those things come around, and they'll be coming around in pretty quick order for the folks involved in animal agriculture to be ready for that as well. It's certainly not limited to no-till, uh, to cover crops. It's all of agriculture, uh, and, and we all need to be ready for it uh, and, and kind of engaged in, in this issue of carbon, most likely for the rest of our careers. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thanks, Aaron. For more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I would encourage you to visit and see David Ripplinger at North Dakota State University. He does have some presentations that are available online that are good resources that cover more details of the topic we discussed today. We also do have resources at the University of Nebraska. And again, those can be found in the Department of Agricultural Economics there, looking at understanding carbon and carbon offsets and some things that farmers and ranchers should be aware of as they consider this opportunity.